You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome to 3 a.m. 3 a.m. 3 a.m. Where we discuss and dissect the supernatural. What's the scariest thing you've encountered? That's been one of our favorite questions for years. 3 a.m. is the result of asking this question over and over again. Stories we share are typically sourced from those we know, our listeners, or personal experience. The validity of which can be determined by you, the listener. While we might not have all the answers, we find the culture and lore surrounding paranormal events and unnatural occurrences fascinating. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to Ocean Avenue. My name is DJ. (laughs) My name is Sean. What's up, kings and queens? It's been a while. (laughs) We haven't said that forever. Uh, This is the 3M Podcast. We tell spooky stories and try and tell jokes. So don't get offended. (laughs) How's everyone's week? Hectic. Busy. 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 <laughs> busy work and busy personal. Sean? All of it. Same old. Dude, we have so many birthdays this month. It was Jordan's birthday this month. It's Kevin's birthday this month. Girlfriend's birthday this month. My sister-in-law. Your sister-in-law. Birthday. My brother flew up from Hawaii for his birthday. Oh. Janelle's brother. My mom. My aunt. They're four days apart. Or uh, four years apart, but same birthday. That sucks. <laughs> and what was going on in June? What goes on in June? Wait, what's nine months previous to this? June. June. Okay, thanks for doing the math. <laughs> There's nothing in June. It's time to freak, bro. <laughs> Apparently. I guess, yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't know, so. Just seg <laughs> in June. I'll bring up our articles already. <laughs> A new study was published, and the title is Human penises are shrinking because of pollution, warned scientists. I literally almost just asked you guys about if you heard of that today. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Where did you see that? Um, I thought I might actually I thought I might actually get on Reddit for once in my life. And it was on that. And I was all but I didn't say it because I was like, oh, they live on Reddit. They've obviously seen it. That's so funny because that's where I found it too. But Dr. Shana Swan writes that humanity is facing an existential crisis in fertility rates as a result of some chemical um, in plastics. Uh, So she wrote a book called Countdown, and she examines how our modern world is threatening sperm counts, altering male and female reproductive development, and imperiling the future of the human race. So her research begins by examining like that chemical, and they observe it in rats. And it's found that when fetuses were exposed to this chemical— they were likely to be born with shrunken genitals. <laughs> so this chemical is common in uh, BPA. So, so you, all you, plastics? Yeah, which is like all plastics. <laughs> Great. What they make everything with. What do we do? What's the solution, Kevin? Wait, what is the rate of shrinkage? Did they tell? Like, I don't know. F around, find out. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, this needs to be capitalized by like uh, hydroflask. Like, yeah. this needs to be a selling point. Yeah. Their motto, just like, keep your dick size. <laughs> <laughs> Save the earth. Save the girth. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, though, if you read the article, the 
most concerning thing isn't even the penis size. Oh, it's not? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, the very last sentence of the article says, Dr. Swan believes that the rapidly dis- decreasing fertility rate means that most men will be unable to pro- produce viable sperm by 2045. We're talking about the decimation of generation. Have you guys seen Utopia? a wives' tale, a mid's tale, wives' tale? I have, I have not. Wives' tale? No, what's the one where Utopia? they like keep the women for oh, midwives? Mid- Hmm. Midwife's I know what you're talking tale. about. Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale. There you go. They got it wrong, dude. It's the dudes. We're yeah. going to be strapped down and forced to bone the ones who can. <laughs> dude, it brings a whole new meaning to uh, toxic masculinity. Uh, <laughs> did you come up with that? I did. That was actually good. That was, that was, that was actually funny. Bro. bro, I am actually funny. That was I, actually funny. <laughs> that is hilarious. Honestly, though, what is, hydro, hydro Flask, get on that. Or Nalgene bottles, get on that. Dude, I'm not in marketing for no reason, bro. Yeah. <laughs> That's got to be every ad from now on. <laughs> oh, the planet stink. You get the shrink. <laughs> Dude, that is concerning. Who a, knew? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> on like kind of a serious note, though, like I know far too many people who are struggling to have kids. So it's like feels real in my life, at least. You know what I mean? <laughs> And wiener sizes too is crazy. It's crazy. So crazy. <laughs> Any thoughts, Sean? No, I feel I'm feeling pretty good actually right now. No. So, <laughs> I mean, soon enough I'm going to be the average. So, I mean, they didn't have to observe rats; they could have just observed you. <laughs> Wait, I thought it said in the article that if the fetus was exposed to it, not if people. It doesn't shrink an already grown man. That's as far as they studied. So oh, okay. Far. It could be. No, I just thought maybe I didn't follow it with your jokes. They just weren't relevant, I guess. (laughs) Take it up with Dr. Swan. (laughs) Apparently, I've read somewhere one time, maybe on the internet, I don't know. If you swim regularly, you can grow an inch. Oh. Or maybe they just told that to my water polo and swim team in high school (laughs) to make us swim. But I was told that, and I was like, that sounds real. (laughs) So, and now you all know that. So we could combat, you know, yeah. the effects. Huh. Did y'all hear about Biden? He fell down the stairs? Bro, he tripping. <laughs> <laughs> he really be tripping. Did you see it? I did. Oh, man, it was kind of sad to watch. It was kind of <laughs> sad. Little, yeah. I mean, at the base of it all, he's just an old man. And they're like, it was really windy. It's like, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame the wind. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Stuff like that happens, like, naturally when you're 80 years old yeah how old is he i trip up the stairs almost every time i go upstairs now and i'm not 80 so i mean it happens yeah yeah yeah. it's a windy day i mean it's a bad look it's like you gotta be strong bro yeah other country's gonna get ideas yeah yeah. (laughs) gotta walk tall (laughs) that's so funny yeah all the memes of him falling dude sean had a good idea hilarious sean's like bro you should sell it to me oh i don't know if he remembers he's like you should edit you know those chairs where like oh. you sit at the bottom, you press the button, they go up. Yeah. So he's like, you should edit Biden in one of those chairs at the bottom of like uh, Air, Force Air Force One, one. next time. Yeah. The ramp. I like, already saw sitting that. Sitting in the chair, going like this. Some, somebody already did that. Oh. I saw it. Oh. It's already been done. Yeah, bro. That's do a good you, idea. Do you remember those? Uh, what were the toy stores that you had growing up? Toys R Us in the mall by us. We had KB Toy Store. Was that a thing? We had KB Toys. Yeah. On I the had, mainland. 
don't yeah. think I ever <laughs> went inside a Toys R Us. The market in Dollar Mexico. Store. The market in Mexico. Yeah, it's the called Mercado. Mexican market. El the Mercado. Mercado. <laughs> I remember, uh, and I saw for the first time since I was a kid, but it's like the stairs with the penguins, and they drop them off at the top, and they they like go down this slide. It's like Hot Wheels, but penguins. <laughs> Do you remember those? Kinda. Are Kinda? they like? Yeah. Like they literally like walk up the stairs yeah. and then they roll down the slide. I slide. Huh. We had that in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> we had that going for us. Speaking of, <laughs> we have Dan. Oh, real quick. So I got a text from Dan the other day and he did a little asking around on those giant houses we saw on our way out to oh. the cave. Turns out they're actually vacation homes for Utah's elite. What? And they've only allowed like 19 to 20 houses to be in the area. Okay. If so you're, that no one else can like go out there. If you're wondering what we're talking about, when we went out to the West Desert, we see a community of homes, huge homes. Massive 12 car garages. In the middle of nowhere with like a lake, a man-made lake by it or something. Yeah, yeah there were also yeah. like stadium lighting. Huge, like 100 feet tall. Like lighting up Friday the streets and stuff. It was so it was odd. bizarre. It looked like a nuke town that they use for testing. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So. Apparently. Apparently. That's what Dan told me this week when he texted me. It's a vacation for the elites? I guess. First of all, who the who are the elites of Utah, bro? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Brigham Young. Uh, <laughs> Brigham himself. Um, do you think that's in any way, shape, or form related to the caves with the cults? Like easy access, maybe? I don't. I'm, I'm fantasizing here, obviously. <laughs> I think that he said those houses were not there when he was actually in this program. As far as he knows. <laughs> as far as he knows. Weird nonetheless. Oh, yeah. Still super weird. Also, why the hell out there? It was kind of bleak in that little area. They had to put their own lake there so it wouldn't be as sucky. You know what confuses me? What vacation spot confuses me? Joshua Tree. There's nothing in Joshua Tree. But Joshua Tree pretty, bro. Like desert pretty? Well, yeah, no, like have you been pretty. to Joshua Tree National yeah. Park? Yeah. I thought it was sick, like the rocks and stuff. There's a lot of really good climbing and bouldering in Joshua Tree, which, I mean, I guess that was But I do to get me. what you're saying. I guess I don't know yeah. much about it. It just seems so random to me. It, it feels, I guess, I was driving through it at night, so I didn't get to see most uh, of it. Oh, yeah. But it's in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. But celebrities are always going there, seems like. Massive houses in the middle of the desert. What's that place called, like Palm Springs? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That one, it's like right by outside of Joshua Tree. Mm -hmm. But I agree. When I went there, I was like, why Why do people vacation here? Yeah. It, it didn't strike me as a vacation place like Hawaii would. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is. To me, it's like a a weekend trip more than like a, a full-on vacation. But like people we would go. F's with it. Yeah, no. It is kind of kind of strange, I guess. Or Death Valley. I do know there's like a psychedelic culture there. So yeah. you go to yeah. Joshua Tree to like trip. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, but why? I don't know. Have you guys seen Palm Springs? It came out last year. No. I no. think during the summer. It's with Andy Samberg. Dude, it's a funny movie. I don't want to spoil it, but you should go watch it. Where what, is it streaming on some? I think uh, I've seen it on one of the streaming. Like, I think it's on Hulu. Yeah, Hulu or Netflix or something. It's a it's a fun movie. Nice. Definitely worth it. checking out. But I just thought of that because 
there's a wedding that takes place there at this super nice resort mansion. Not even a resort, uh, just mansion. And it's in the middle of the desert. So some people be about that desert life. Uh, speaking of vacation, though, a company in Japan came out with a new vacation policy. So a Japanese company currently offers paid leave <laughs> for employees grieving over their favorite idol's retirement. <laughs> Further promoting simp culture. <laughs> What's simp? Tell I have us. no idea. Like, to be honest. Really? Yeah. A simp is short for sympathizer. And the Urban Dictionary uh, definition of simp is someone who does way too much for a person they like. Um. To a point where it's negative. And most of the time it seems like whoever they're simping over couldn't care less about them. So, <laughs> Simp was a huge meme like... Towards the end of last year, yeah. fall last year, right? Like, don't be a simp, bro. And it's like if you if you were like into, let's say, like a, a girl Twitch streamer, and you just went on there all the time, and like donated money, gave or even her only OnlyFans. Yeah, <laughs> you subscribe to an OnlyFans, you give all this money for their their nudes. Yeah, but it's like they don't know who you are, and they don't care who you are either. So you're hardcore simping. Yeah, bro. So literally the other day, I was talking to someone about who would pay for an OnlyFans. Like, I was legitimately confused, like, why someone would get on there and pay money to OnlyFans. When like, there's bounteous amounts of free prawn everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this Japanese company says that if your idol is holding holding a concert or live event, you can take the day off or leave early. You can take full paid leave for up to 10 days if your favorite idol graduates or... Gra- wait. That's like just high for school retirement. Or-, <laughs> or retires or gets married. Depending on the amount of mental damage, it's possible to negotiate for extra days. Bro, everybody would be my idol at that point. Bro, yeah, take advantage (laughs) of it, right? That's what I was going to ask. Do you have to register your favorite idol or can it just be like, is there a limit to your favorite idols? uh, (laughs) Like employee profile, name, birthday, and then your idol, like right underneath? It's like Betty White. Any day now, Betty. You just gotta you just gotta find like the most active person and then say they're you're they're your idol. So you could take the day off like once a week or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I do That's Joe so Rogan, it's like, oh, he dropped another episode today. <laughs> it's fourth one this week. It's so funny. Cause isn't Japan known like notorious for being just creeps. being workaholics? Oh yeah. Oh that, that too. too. <laughs> Both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. Um Yeah, they have a six day work week. And the like, culture there is like, if you're not falling asleep on the train to and from work, you're not working hard enough. Wow. But they also have vending machines where you can buy used underwear. So I thought that was going a completely different direction with the vending machine. I'm just saying but... they have like both. But it, it's, 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 <laughs> funny, it's funny that the thing that they finally like give into with like benefits and pay time off has to do with this yeah. rather than just like overall normal health <laughs> yeah. rather than like your parents dying like work-life balance <laughs> yeah it's like wait you have something that's like uh wait mentally unhealthy for you it's yeah like, yeah, yeah. Uh, wait your your body pillow is uh, going into retirement sure <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll pay for that of course take yeah. the day yeah. off <laughs> what are you doing there yeah, as much time as you need you idiot <laughs> Damn you, Japan, for being cool and the freaking weirdest. <laughs> I love it, dude. Give it, give it to me. All and I would like to say, DJ found this on Anime News Network. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Meet the manga. What were you doing here? Meet the manga editors. <laughs> is the ad on the side. Dudes, I was at the gym the other day, and I've never been flexed on harder in my entire life. <laughs> I was hopped up on caffeine. I was ready to go pump some iron, but I had to take a piss. So I went to the gym, bathroom, went to the stall, started to pee, and a super old dude walked up next to me. He's, he's, I don't know, 80 plus years old, wearing super baggy basketball shorts. Comes down to the shins. Yeah. <laughs> he walked up to the urinal next to me. And without, like, you know, like gym culture for younger people is like, be discreet, you know. Get in, get out. Old dudes, it's like flipping their dick, like whipping their dick out, you know, just like <laughs> shaking it. With you know what I'm like, Start casting yeah. spells. Yeah. This shit is wild. Yeah. Avada Kedavra up like there. like a gay bathhouse in yeah. there. He walks up and with no discretion, reaches down to the bottom of his shorts. No. Barely lifts the pant leg. No. Grabs something. And this is, I, I'm staring, I'm staring like a serial killer straight ahead. Like, but I mean, my peripheral is pretty good. So I'm, I'm catching everything that's happening. Yeah. Especially with that Japanese white screen. Dude, yeah. I'm like, I can check it out. 16 by nine. Yeah. And I see him reach down, grab something. And I'm like, what is down there? And he just points it towards the urinal and starts pissing out the bottom of his basketball shorts. And I was like, <laughs> and he kind of just and walked away. I was like, whoa! Not even shaking the bush, shake the snake. Dude, yeah. <laughs> it was wild. I was like, well, I'm going home. <laughs> I'm done at the gym. Yeah. Either it's gravity or he just blessed. I don't know. It's uh, He definitely never drank out of plastic water exactly bottles. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's probably why they're like – it's probably why uh, boomers don't care about the earth because they want everyone else to have small penises. They've known this. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> Dude, conspiracy, full circle. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's exactly why. Wild. But anyway, nope. it was wild. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Big flex. Yeah, I was like, geez, Louise, sir. <laughs> William Hung. <laughs> All right. Let's get into stories. Let's roll. Beauty, dude. All right, guys. Now's the time we roll our 20-sided die. Yes, we did used to play D&D. Uh, and the nice. uh, order determines on which... Oh, gosh damn it. To determine in what order we tell our stories, highest number goes first. We just rolled. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. <sighs> I have benefited from therapy in a way that it's allowed me to feel a lot more light, lightness in my heart, my head, my emotions. If that's something that you are needing, if that's something that's missing, uh, give therapy a try. Give BetterHelp a try. Uh, we want to hook you up um, by getting it off your chest. Uh, and it be a little lighter on the wallet, uh, go ahead and visit betterhelp.com slash 3am and you can get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash 3am. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. 
On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. I got an 18. Charles got a 6. Sean got a 5. Hey! So it's me, Charles, Sean. Let's go. Can I just say, DJ's been giddy. Okay, shut up. <laughs> All day. Shut up. Texting. Guys, you don't, you don't even know. You don't, you don't even, even know. know. <laughs> you don't even know. I was sitting at the shop today, had some free time, was looking for my story. And I found this brick of gold of a story. <laughs> oh, man. If you saw me sitting at that desk, you, I looked gay, dude. <laughs> Like Flintstones just or? In, in just <laughs> feeling myself with how great this story is still blowing my mind. I found this at what? Noon? One o'clock? It's almost eight hours. For eight hours straight, I've been excited to share the story. So here goes nothing. I was a teenage prisoner of a dangerous cult called Ilan School, of which there was no escape. How did I end up in this situation? I might as well take you back to the very beginning. 16, I was asleep. My biggest concern at the moment was an exam that I had for biology the next day. I didn't know it at the time, but a deal had been made behind my back. A promise had been made to fix me. I was awakened by the sound of my bedroom door crashing. It was 2 a.m., Two men are already tying their rope around me. Don't worry, they said. It's all part of the process. As they carried me out the front door, they yelled back into the house, your child will be returned to you, brand new. And there we were, in a van. And we drove from Missouri to Maine. I'm not going to lie, it kind of sounds like a, you're probably wondering how I got here. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. yeah. And that's how I met your mother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had a cousin who did this. Went to Ilan? No. Oh, frick. He was the one who went into the home and got the kids. Not for Ilan, but for <laughs> other like youth programs. What? That's yeah. wild. Yeah, he was like, because he worked, there's so many youth programs around here. Like, we all know people who've worked at them. And he was one of the people who would show up at the house. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. You can't just leave it at that. You would talk to him, get stories, or... I, I mean, I think it was pretty standard. He walked in. They would curse. He'd be like, hey, you got to come with me. And they'd be like, oh, yo, go to hell. And yeah. like, all right. Well, we're leaving here. Your parents already signed everything. Yeah. <laughs> get in the van. It's weird to think about, like, guardianship. Because as a guardian, you can do almost anything with who you're over outside of physical harm to an extent. Yeah. You know, I got spanked as a kid. People can take that a little further too and st- like get away with it. It's weird. So when parents sign off on their children to someone else, dude, that's scary. Like, I wonder what has to happen to get to that point, either because of the kid or the parents. Hmm. Anyway, this is a wild story. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah. So we arrive 
and I'm looking outside the van window, and it looks like a rundown, dilapidated trailer park. I was passed like a cigarette to my new handlers. One was a kid, like me, and one was an older man. These thoughts are coming through my mind. Why am I here? What's going on? What am I going to do? So at that point, instinct kicked in. The answer was obvious. I run. So I break away and I start sprinting into the woods. I look behind and the kid was further behind than the man because he had tripped. And the man was not close enough to catch me. And I was slightly faster than he was. So in my head, I'm thinking freedom. Freedom's in my sights. You know, just keep running. Just keep running forward. Those two dudes cannot catch me. But the men in the forest can. So I was swooped up. After I was caught, nothing was said. I was simply escorted into the house as if nothing happened. I was taken into a building. There was another man and another kid, just like me. And they threw me into the showers. Never in my life was I ever forced to take off my clothes and shower in front of other people. Feeling extremely vulnerable. I watched as they emptied my pockets. I've watched them steal jewelry. I've watched them steal people's clothes. This whole process with the shower was the beginning of uh, dehumanizing people. Anything unique about you was taken away. Your image was the first thing that got deleted. This kind of sounds like a mission. (laughs) A cool haircut, any cool clothes. Yep. And you're told that your identity is something that is a privilege and that you would have to earn in order to have it. So there were two rules here. The first one was you start from nothing. And the second is resist and get even less. So because I attempted to escape, I was starting out with even less. And for attempting to escape, they took my shoelaces for a month, but made me wear the shoes still. So walking everywhere was sucked. Walking everywhere sucked. And I couldn't walk fast. You know? Something as simple as that just became, you know, a huge burden for me. Dude, I survived the Etnies era, so I pretty much had <laughs> shoes without laces. Yeah. I was thinking of like Converse. Oh, man. <laughs> Super thin tongue. It's uh, like it can't keep your just, foot in. Uh, that'd be You're basically so just dragging sucky. your feet on the floor. That's what I would Dude. do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At that point, just, you know, cane me, whip me. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Just don't take my shoelaces. <laughs> <laughs> Um, not only that, but I was given a, a bright yellow shirt because I was labeled as a flight risk. Oof. So people, uh, working here would keep an eye on me. And if I tried to escape again, it was easy to spot me in or outside. So this has been a kid who's been sent away by his parents to like a reform school. Mm-hmm. Okay. Obviously without his consent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, on top of the yellow shirt, I also got tiny fluorescent pink shorts dope the big part of that was humiliation we're all kids so being humiliated in front of peers or even in front of strangers was all part of their their tactic so i'm looking at myself and i see all these things happening 
And before I can even process it, something else happens. But I remember thinking to myself, they want to humiliate me? We'll see about that. Over time, I noticed that external changes were immediate, like how they shaved my head, took my clothes, made me shower naked in front of them. But internal changes were a little more gradual. When I finished my shower, which was only a couple of minutes, they introduced me to Matt. They said, this is Matt. He's your big brother. You must be within one foot of each other at all times. I noticed that that command was directed to the both of us. I reach out my hand and I say, I'm Joe. Nice to meet you. No touching, hand down. No physical contact. They barked at me as soon as those words came out of my mouth. So from there, I started noticing quickly that there were specific rules about physical contact. Everything was extreme, so even a handshake was considered absolutely inappropriate. Matt says, follow me, let's go. So I follow him through the building. We get to a dining room. There's round tables scattered throughout. They're big enough to sit four people, but almost 10 people were sitting on each one, all scrunched up next to each other. No touching. The room was small. I looked around. Some people were staring back at me blankly. Joe, look up front, Matt said. I keep looking around. Some people are looking back at me with, looking back at me mischievously. Joe, I'm not going to tell you again. Look up front, Matt said. The room was noisy. People were barking orders all throughout. And the walls were sweating from so much body heat in a contained space. Kevin's literal nightmare. No touching, no hugging, and sweaty walls. (laughs) Sweat dropped down my balls. (laughs) Uh, There was, there were boys and girls here, but there were, there was clear separation between the two. Stop looking at the females. Matt barked at me. I noticed another girl. She was wearing the same clothing as me, bright yellow shirt, bright pink shorts. We get to the table. At the very front, two open seats for Matt and I, I assume. So we sat down, and a kid is sitting there, younger than I was, looking really sad. I look at him, and I say, hey, I'm Joe. Are you doing all right? Nothing. No response. Doesn't look at him. Doesn't say anything. Uh, hello? Nothing. Awkward, palpable silence. Hey, man, you doing okay or what? Meanwhile, Matt, big brother... Watching this whole thing. Matt goes up to him. Steve, good job. I had absolutely no concept of what was going on. So at that point, Matt explains it. There's two distinct classes here. Non-strength and strength. These classes govern everything from when you shower to when you eat. It also govern conversation. So everyone was put into one of these classes. Non-strength and strengths can interact. But when they do, they have to be what's called relating. Relating is a tactic they use to... They're basically brainwashing them. Uh, Just like a pseudo-therapy where they're saying, you know, you're here for a purpose. Elon will save your life. Will change you for the better. That's what the strengths could say to the non-strengths. The strengths could interact with each other. 
but it was also just for relating or talking about situations where there was, you know, relating going on, experience they had that day relating to other people. If you were not relating, it was called being loose. And if you got caught being loose, you were told to tighten up. Non-strengths were forbidden to interact with each other. That include looking at each other and talking to each other, which is why our boy Joe here got no response from that sad-looking kid. Because that kid was already conditioned as a non-strength to follow those, those rules. <sighs> so that was the law, zero exceptions. Breaking the, the law was called guilt. And there were a bunch of examples of guilt. This list includes, but is not limited to, having any image, non-strength interaction, talking too softly, talking too loudly, talking too much, not talking enough, being attracted to someone, thinking of running away, negative body language, reading, writing, looking out the windows, looking at the opposite gender, looking at security zones, not listening to higher ranks, pretending to sleep at night, being in the bathroom too long, showering for more than three minutes, making facial reactions to orders, any form of physical contact, pretending not to have acquired guilt. The f <laughs> it's, it's written so like anything you do, you're can, getting can be broken a rule. Yeah, there's One little thinking about escaping. How are they gonna know you thinking about it? I'll get there, dude. So there's a it. It feels like a tightrope to walk on with no rope. <laughs> Like, there's no deviating at all. They have this, they have you on a high wire. Uh, but all guilt was punished, and in some cases, severely punished. So, quick recap. Joe's kidnapped. He's completely surrounded, far from home, covered in bright clothing. He says, I remember the room being full of teens, and they looked and acted like they were attending a funeral. That was the vibe I felt there. I remember that teens with clipboards were guarding all the exits and entryways. There's one teen guarding one of the exits who looked mad. And he was somebody that you didn't want to talk to. He said, I saw another teen guarding another exit who had just a sinister look on his face. And he'd observe everyone, scribble things down on his clipboard. And he'd do that every 10 seconds taking notes on what was going on. I also noticed that the guys who caught me in the forest were in the room as well. So all odds are against me. Joe says, I'm going for it, still. And he stands up. And as soon as he stands up to try to make another break for it, despite the odds, Joe, come knock. Frozen, Big Brother Matt escorted me across the dining room towards a set of narrow stairs. That was guarded by clipboard teenager. He lets us pass, scribbles down on his clipboard, and we proceed to walk up the stairs. Walking up and I look and there's two doorways on the left and right and a dead end right ahead. We get to the top, turn towards one of the doorways, and a loud voice comes from inside. Knock! So I knocked. Who's out there? Matt says, say your name. Joe Say it louder. Joe, come in. Joe opens the door. Uh, hello? Come in. Don't speak unless 
we allow you to. Okay? I say, okay. And right when I say, okay, all of them put their fingers up to their lips and shake their head. It was creepy. Welcome, Joe. Have a seat. This is orientation. So every newcomer got orientation. I sat facing four residents known as a dealing crew. They were kind of like a jury verdict. You knocked because the program had decided that you specifically needed to be told something. So if somebody did something wrong or the higher-ups needed to talk to you at some point, you would go for your knocking. You know, you go to the room, you'd face this, this dealing crew, and they'd uh, do one of two things. One was a TT, a talking to. Two was a VR, verbal reprimand. Luckily for me, I just got a, a talking to. TT. Got that TT. So uh, Joe said, looking back, this felt very much like cornering a small animal where you don't have any sudden movements. You're just trying to give a false sense of security, luring them in, and then make your move. Just over time, noticing that everything in this place was calculated down to a T. Joe says, the next words spoken were to this very day, the worst I have ever heard in my life. Welcome to the Elon 8 house. This will be your home for the next 30 to 40 months. Oh. Your stay here is going to entirely depend on you and how you decide to react to our program. The amount of privileges that you have depends on your actions. And their voices fade away as he's processing 30 to 40 months, three years, give or take a, a few months. It's like I'm spending, I'm 16. I'm spending 20% of my lifetime so far here. Wah, 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 wah. None of the, what they're saying is registering to him. He's just, you know, come, like realizing How long the, he's gonna be the there. reality of this situation. Holy hell. Joe said, the room started spinning to me. Another person starts talking, wah, wah, nothing, not registering to me. I'm just thinking I'm, I'm locked inside here with other prisoners. People are guarding the exits. Is that why everyone here is the way they are? Sad, depressed, menacing, angry. As soon as I start to think these things, I snap out of it. And I hear one of the panelists say, there are three cardinal rules. No sex, no drugs, no violence. They defined what sex was here at Elon. Sex is looking at girls or thinking of them. That's guilt. You have to tell someone you thought it. They keep explaining the rules and it keeps fading into the background. These people were psychotic. That much was clear. Joe said, there's nothing scarier than finding yourself in a position where people are saying crazy shit and everyone around you is simply nodding their heads in agreement and acting like it's totally normal. There was something very, very wrong with this place. It was written all over the walls. That point, he noticed that it was literal. Because littered on the walls were colorful pieces of construction paper with writings and artwork saying things like, we see your guilt, or guilt kills. I snap out of it again. That ends your orientation. Again, if you're unsure of anything, ask your big brother. One last thing, we expect a public apology to John. 
the boy you shoved when you tried to split. Do it downstairs in front of everyone. Now. House in the dining room. There's calls within Elan. Calls that everybody knows. Calls that have specific responses. When someone in power yelled, house in the dining room, that meant everybody had to gather in a specific place. So it was a summoning. If you were already there, you had to stand, stare at the front of the room like a soldier. I got to the front. People were hauling ass from other rooms into the main dining room. And I stood in front of 30 boys and about 20 girls. The ages ranged from 13 to 20. I learned over time that kids came from every walk of life and social class. Some were children to parents who were multimillionaires. Some were orphans that were snatched up from their orphanage. From their orphanage. Head counts, another call. They would call by name, just like in elementary school. People would say, here, or present. And the teenagers with clipboards would mark, keeping detailed notes of who was there and who wasn't. All these different calls coming in, people responding. Now it was time for my apology. Can John stand up? John stands up, and he's pissed. John, I'm sorry, man. I really shouldn't have knocked you over. So, my bad, you know. Sorry. Hey, asshole. A gruff voice interrupted from the side. I remember the room had been silent, but it somehow got quieter as if everyone was afraid to breathe. F***ing start over. Beg. F***ing beg for his forgiveness. You should be in the motherfucking ring. Don't test us, Joe. I looked to the side. The man confronting me was named Ron. Ron was scary. Someone you didn't want to mess with. I'm standing there trying to comprehend, but before I can even really grasp the situation. Are you hearing me, boy? His energy was something like a cult leader. Beneath his charisma was an undertow of recklessness. An angry god who convinced himself that everything he did was justified because it was him doing it. He was the scariest person I had ever met, and to this day, 20 years later, he still is. I was just a 16-year-old kid. This was such a new situation for me to be in, like a nightmare. All eyes on me, and none of these people even knew me, and everything I do and say is wrong, and this guy keeps coming at me harder. You're on thin ice, Joe, he says, full of image, full of guilt. I knew the other teens were going to judge me based on how I responded to this situation, and I wasn't going to be seen as weak or as a loser. So I responded, you're full of something. What was that? Someone grab a broomstick. Shuffling off to the side. They run back real quick. General meeting. I don't know what that was, but it affected the teens. Everyone started moving around. The room wasn't as silent as it was. The vibe was bad, but it just got worse. Two boys stood beside me, and the broomstick was put at my feet about four inches from my toes. I was relieved because I thought they were going to beat me with it. But I was still a deer in the headlights, not knowing what was going on. During this whole time, Ron is still screaming. And when I finally noticed and came to my senses again, noticed that he's screaming, he pointed at me and he yelled to everyone, Get your feelings off. I knew those words individually, but didn't understand them in that sequence and in this context. All of a sudden... 
the sound of 50 wooden chairs scraping against the concrete floor, moving. All 50 of the kids actually sprinted towards me. It was unbelievable. I could never have imagined a reality existing where this was normal. Yet it was happening. You, Joe, F- your image, you worthless piece of shit. All the kids were fighting to get in line to scream at my face, and they were all conditioned to do this, competing to literally scream directly in my face. It gets worse. Sitting down was only allowed for those kids after they got their feelings off, strengths around the room with the clipboards, or taking notes and writing down names if you got your feelings off. If you didn't participate, you got a general meeting yourself where everyone would scream at you. Each person screamed for up to, each person screamed for anywhere from two to seven minutes. Screaming at the top of your lungs, that's hard to do for that amount of time. So you would learn a rhythm to screaming, taking a deep, long breath and let it all out in a slew of of words. He said, in the beginning, you scream to blend in because you didn't want to get a general meeting, then something strange happens. You started to really scream. Screaming felt good and screaming felt right. Anger towards Elon transferred into anger towards those who didn't obey Elon. Elon had a really tight and structured schedule. You would eat, shower, do your day jobs. General meetings ruined the timing and made everyone's life worse. General meetings made everyone mad. So the record in a day for general meetings that I saw was eight. I saw over a thousand in a year. Mealtime was anywhere from six to eight minutes. But if there was a general meeting, mealtime was cut to one to four minutes. A day without a general meeting was a good day. So Elon turned us into living weapons. And it seemed that our gods demanded sacrifices. So looking back in the first 24 hours, what happened was I slept for five hours in a van, ate once at a gas station, was screamed at by 50 teens, and things started becoming fuzzy. I was exhausted. The strengths ordered me to start writing my, my guilt letter. So guilt letter was a letter to your parents, telling them why you deserve to be there. They'd make you write it, submit it for, for errors, and then make you revise it until it was exactly what they wanted you to say. Usually, it would take five to eight times on average to revise it to where they wanted it to be. This first guilt letter took me over 20 times to revise. Can you imagine writing that, handwriting it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, reminds me of Harry Potter. What's the, the quill where it writes into your skin? Oh, almost? Yeah. I will not. I shall. I will not tell lies or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And even uh, what's the letter that Ron gets? The screamer or whatever. The howler. The howler. Yeah. Yeah. Just everyone screaming at you just made me thought of those two <laughs> things. But um, so Elon regulated all the mail. They read all of your mail, what was coming in, and then decided if you could have it or not. So sometimes you would get a letter. They would read it, decide you couldn't have it, and you wouldn't know unless someone reached out. So lunchtime at Elon. Consisted of potatoes, some type of mystery meat, and milk. Food always looked like shit. And strengths screamed one of the many Elan shouts that I would learn to despise. Meal kicks. Meal kicks meant that we could start eating. But depending on your rank, that determined when you could actually eat. 
so the people who were obeying and doing their jobs could grab the food first and start eating. And then second, third, fourth. With how I've been doing, I got food last. And there were slim pickings because everyone took the food before me. It wasn't a regulated amount. It was a regulated, regulated amount for the group, but not for the individuals. So right when it was my turn, I reached out, took a bite of a potato, and I hear, meal blows. And that means stop everything you're doing, put your food down. Eating time is over. I quickly put that piece of meat in my mouth because I was so hungry. And one of the strengths noticed. They yelled at me and at Matt, my big brother. They yelled at him for not conditioning me to follow the rules that were set. Rank was, was everything here. I was in a, the lowest rank called shot down. So shot down, scrubbed all day, all week, toilets, floors, showers, trash cans. Shot down was also a verb. If you're talking back, you're shot down. You could get shot down from any rank. So you can go from the top all the way to the literal bottom. So the time that I had to eat that day was seconds. School didn't start until 7 p.m. The program took up two-thirds of the day. Teachers showed up. We sat in the same rooms we were always in, shitty desk chairs, grabbed from a pile of books, silently worked, then graded our own work. It was the laziest version of school. No tests, no projects, no lectures, no group work, no actual homework, no backpacks, school supplies, art, music, nothing. Uh, Jim was running in a circle for 45 minutes. The longer I stayed here, I mentally mapped the building. Thanks to school time, I used the materials to draw out secretly the map of Ilan. School ended. We went to, to the dorms. The beds were kind of army-style bunk beds, a bunch of them in one room. Big Brother and other strengths took turns watching non-strengths sleep, sitting right at the edge of the bed. I remember sleeping. I would always try to focus on my breathing in, out. I remember one night focusing as I was inhaling, exhaling, and I decided that tonight was the night that I would run. Do you know how long he's been in at this point? No. Oh. Do you get the feeling days or months? Uh, I'd say weeks. I don't know, around a month. I have no idea. I'll get to that at some point. So it's 2 a.m. He's in the male dorm. Big brother sitting by the bed watching him. It's nearly pitch black. He says, how long would, he, I remember thinking, how long would Matt wait by the bed? Would he sit all night? Would he use a bathroom? Every 10 to 15 minutes, a second kid would enter the dorm, switch with Matt, or do checks around. They'd have their, their clipboard. This was a high strength job called Night Owl. And they would do head counts from 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. I observed his movements. He counted with a flashlight. He'd lift blankets up to see if feet were there. He'd Instantly wake me up. Yeah. For real. Writing on his clipboard, recording all, all of that. 3 a.m. came. Big Brother looked very tired. 3.15, staying up all night for him, not easy. 3.30, somewhere in between winks. Counting 16, 17, 18. Lifts up the blanket. No feet. Joe had made a break. He was outside. He said it was beautiful. I haven't seen stars for so long. 
And I swear I've never seen this many colors in the sky either. I had snatched two dark jackets as I fled the dorm, and I hid close to the house and watched as a few of the night owls ran out into the forest with torches, looking. Using the jackets as a cloak, I crawled on the ground, and I'd stop and listen. And as noises faded away, I'd crawl again. I'd do that over and over, listen, stop, crawl. This time someone got closer. Joe, where are you? Joe, listen. F*** Elon. I want to run too. You got to trust me, man. This was so unexpected. Two are better than one. Let's help each other. I reply, turn off that flashlight then. Click. Darkness. Joe, let's get the f*** out of here. All right, but we need to stay low. We waited a little bit more until it seemed safe to move. The voice says, the road is this way. Are you sure? Trust me. Where they go, I will be sharing next week. So, I got all of this. It's actually a web comic done by Joe himself. If you go to his website, you can contact him. You can support him, follow his socials. He has a proof page for all these interviews and articles relating to Elon. So as a quick kind of overview before we go into the part two of the story, Elon started in 1970, was a private co-educational and controversial residential behavior modification program. That is a mouthful. And therapeutic boarding school in Maine. The facility was closed down in 2011 due to abuse, which dated back to its opening in 1970. It was located on a 33-acre campus that was formerly a hunting lodge. The school acquired some notoriety during the 1990s and early 2000s when former classmates who had attended Elon in the 1970s testified against some of the people there uh, in a trial for an unsolved murder that had occurred about two years before he enrolled at Elon. But, bro... I'm pretty sure at some point, everyone who went, they're not everyone. It might even be Joe. Years later, post or like Reddit. I went to the school. Anyone else out there go? Yeah. And all of a sudden, ding, ding, ding. They all start communicating. And that's when like it kind of came out like how effing crazy it all was. (laughs) A a little bit like the, well, a lot of it like the the Me Too movement. What do you mean? Just like being people being able to talk about. Yeah, like there, it was them? silence in the in Hollywood and the entertainment industry about abuse and yeah, just sexual abuse, and nobody said anything because they were either conditioned to that's how, not say that's anything how the way it is, or they're just at the bottom, and all these powerful figures are on top and can't they can't say anything without risking something, right? And then finally, someone spoke, and then all these other people with their testimonies come up and join instead, but. It's a crazy, powerful read. I was geeking out on it. So if you want, you can go and read it for yourself or wait 
and I'll tell the rest over the next episode or two. Crazy. And that's just one person's story too. Just Joe. So I haven't read past that. Nice. Like I spent hours going over all of that. The comics are are great. Really puts you in the space. Weird headspace. But. Wild. Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, The book, The Institute by Stephen King is pretty similar to that. One of my favorite books ever. So if you get a chance, go read it. But very interesting. I, I want it. I'm like pissed. I have to wait a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that was the craziest cliffhanger when I was reading it in the comics Ugh. with the dude calling out to him in the dark. Bro, I didn't see that coming. Don't trust that fool. It's weird. I assume John didn't talk to anybody, you know, to keep himself safe. So it's somebody who he had probably befriended or a higher up who knows his information. He was a flight risk. So I just got to wait outside the dorm until he tries again and then try to lure him in like he was talking with a trapped animal. I was thinking like Matt, his older brother, big brother. Yeah, that's who I was thinking too. But Matt was sitting outside. Yeah, I don't know. Or sitting right next to him at his bed when he left. So Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It reminded me, it sounds similar to like almost Epstein. I don't know if there's sexual abuse going on in this. We'll see. But uh, the whole island bringing kids and dude, God knows what. The process of breaking a human down to control them is terrifying. Dude, it's scary. Because no matter how strong you think you are, everyone has a point where they break. And there's like a ton of time and resource put into fight, figuring out how to like mentally, physically, spiritually like break a human down to make them do things you would think they would never do. It seems like it would be pretty easy to do for most people and especially young kids yeah especially young kids but even for people who are more mature and i guess harder to break when they reach that point it seems that would take a lot quicker than trying to build them back up in the future like people struggle like have ptsd and struggle with these you know memories and experiences for years decades up until their deathbed i'm gonna be honest if i miss like two meals I am breaking down. I will do anything you tell me, dude. Yeah, Yeah, that's like my limit. Oh, Yeah, the first thing they do, and this is, I mean, boot camp and army does it. So it's like you could say they use it for good some places, but like cults, everything they do, separate you from your family, start taking away sleep, start taking away food. Identity. Identity. Identities. Once again. (laughs) However you say it. I'm not going to lie. It sounded like when I reported to the MTC to go on my mission. Yeah. yeah I mean. You do that haircut. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited most for the story because it's not just a regular, like it has history of crime. Like it's not just a regular conditioning center. Obviously, they went past the point to where they were shut down for whatever reason. So whatever those reasons are, we'll find out. We talked when we went out to West Desert. If you remember, Dan was working at like a troubled youth rehabilitation place so we had a lot of conversations about the industry i know people who've gone to those and not everything that goes on there is good and the conversation i had with dan was like if you're a shark if you're a predator you're going to go where the prey is so the the type of people that might be attracted to working there or funding the yeah operation not all of them are bad but you will have bad actors and they will be attracted to that where they could uh, 
take advantage of. Yeah. And like assert their dominance and power over. So anyway, it takes almost a special type of person to kind of enforce or like run that organization, but have a good head on your shoulders still. You yeah. Know? Like you have to be cut from a like a specific type of cloth. Yeah. Because anybody who has some weird wiring going on. It's going to go dude, south real quick. Yeah. Huh. But I I am very excited to say the least. Nice. <laughs> dude, that's crazy. That's freaking wild. I was I was there. I felt like I felt like I was in orientation. Dude, Joe does a good job illustrating everything. So, I just want to read it straight from the comics. I tried to write down all my notes, but I ended up just kind of like half of it was just copied. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Joe. But yeah. Cool. Is that you tonight? Yeah, Joe versus uh, what's the school? The universe, Elon, Elon, Elon yeah. Musk. Yeah, Joe versus Elon. Search that E L A N. Yeah, there are a surprising amount of documentaries, podcasts, different types of media done about this. So I'm surprised that none of us have even really heard about it. Yeah. So I mean, I've heard about it. Cool. <laughs> I have not heard about it. <laughs> um, the cool thing with this one, it's just super personal. doesn't read like a news article, like a Wikipedia, like on this date, this happened and they were closed down. I'd never because, heard this personal of account. Yeah. 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 And this dude, Joe, if you go to his website, he's still writing these comics. Hmm. Like currently. He just posted, uh, he doesn't buy chapters. And I just did chapters 1 through 15. Whoa. And he just did chapter like 53 yesterday. So I think he's doing like every week or something like that. Damn. Drawing and illustrating and writing out his story. You know the web? Can you say the website? The website is Elon.school. Yeah. But it's, it's run by Joe. He seems like a chill dude. I mean, it's the internet. So who knows? But he goes by Joe Nobody. (laughs) And he says that, let me be clear, I'm going to continue publishing chapters regardless of outside financial support. I'm not doing this for monetary gain. He just did a Patreon, but he's like, I didn't even know about Patreon or consider doing anything like that until like after I did 10 chapters of this. Like I did the first 10 chapters just because. He said there's also plenty of non-donation ways to help me. If you have an account on one of these following sites, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, yada, you absolutely have my permission to make posts about my comic. Whoa. So that's why, like, I found that on his site. I was like, oh, I, I guess I can share the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was wondering, I was like, uh, is this word for word? Like, we're going to have to hit the lawyer up or? No, I'm just kidding. Dope. So. Dude, excited for the next step or next chapters. Thank you, Joe. Charles. Cool. All right. Stress. <laughs> Who here gets stressed? I'm stressed right now. A little bit, yeah. Okay, who do you guys say you get really stressed? Or just like you're pretty even killed? Like you want to get into mental health? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Like I get really stressed. I'm like a pretty naturally stressed person. I like, in a way, use it to help me accomplish things where I constantly am like thinking about it and like, I don't know. But I'm pretty generally stressed. Yeah. I'd say I'd it's agree. like managed stress for the most part. Sometimes it gets out of control, but. Yeah. For me, some, like I'll get anxiety and it'll come out of nowhere, sometimes for no reason. And I like physically become immobile. 
can't do anything. It's debilitating. But sick. <laughs> it happens maybe once or twice a year. Huh. Would you say it's like a panic attack? Yeah. Huh. Oh damn. Yeah. I'm like the epitome of no stress. Whoa. Dude, I'm just always on a beach in my mind. <laughs> margaritas. I'm sure. <laughs> Actually, I had someone at work. I don't know if I ever told you guys this. Back when we were at work, this guy came over to me. He's like, bro, do you smoke weed? And I was like, no, why? He's like, you're so chill all the time. And no one else in your position is like that. I was like, no. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> The next time I saw him, he's still like, bro, I'm going to get you to tell me eventually. <laughs> he's like, it'd be a lot cooler if you did. It'd be, be a, a lot cooler, cooler if you did. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Kevin, do you stress? Uh, not without reason. Like, if I have, like, if I'm running behind in a catering or something, then, like, I'm stressed during Which that. never happens out there, green beanie catering. Yep, never. <laughs> <laughs> but then as soon as it's over, I'm like, all right, cool, bye. And I, I get over it really easily. Huh. My my mind does a fun thing where it comes up with things to get stressed about. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, all right. For those out there who do get pretty stressed, here is something to get stressed about. <laughs> <laughs> Let me feed into it. Yeah. It has long been believed and even recorded in medical literature that extreme stress can cause... Sudden death. So you two are safe. <laughs> Charles and I finna die. <laughs> See you in Valhalla, brother. Yeah. This is sometimes referred to as the nocebo effect. Nocebo. Nocebo. Not placebo. Nocebo. They're freaking gazebos. <laughs> yeah. What is that? Oh, that's it. it. Yeah. Mom trying to make him take all those meds. Yeah. All right. That's just to preface this story. Everything in here, everything I'm about to say is true, recorded, real-life events. Sick. Um, I'm going to start by reading an account of someone from, like, their journal. And this person is an immigrant, so the English is funky. It says, first, I was surprised, but right away, I got real scared. I was lying in bed, a dark shadow in the night. I was so tired because I was working very hard then. I wanted to go to school, but I had no money. I kept waking up because I was thinking so much about my problems, I heard a noise. But when I turned, tried, I could not move. My bedroom looked the same, but I could see in the corner a dark shape was coming to me. It came to the bed, over my feet, my legs. It was very heavy like heavy weight over my whole body, my legs, my chest. My neck, Heck. my back. <laughs> my stress. <laughs> and my Prozac. My chest, <laughs> my chest was frozen like I was drowning. I had no air. I tried to yell to someone sleeping very close to me, will hear, I tried to move using a force that I can, a strength that I can, I have, I thought, what if I die? After a long time, it went away. It just left. I got up, turned on the lights on. I was afraid to sleep again. So what does this sound like? Freddy Krueger. Ooh. Or 
Sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis, something we've all experienced, <laughs> or a lot of us have experienced. Before I go any further, uh, I just want to shout out the Spooky Science Sisters podcast for suggesting that I cover this. I listened to their episode on it. It was awesome. So go check them out on Instagram or wherever you listen to podcasts. Sick. Uh, a lot of this came from an article on Medium by Dr. Ari Akhtar or Wikipedia. That's where like, I got all my stuff. Okay. Isn't that the dude who directed Midsommar? <laughs> <laughs> Ari Akhtar? <laughs> Almost. Allahu Akbar. <laughs> okay. So what is this? This is an account from a Hmong immigrant. So what are Hmong? What is the Hmong people? A lot of people don't know. They're the Native Americans of Asia. <laughs> no, really. And we're like the original Asians. Really? Mm-hmm. They were the original Asians. They don't have their own country. They live in their own tribes all over the world. We actually have a listener who's submitted a, a story before. His mom is Hmong or part Hmong. And he's working on getting stories of like the Hmong community for us. Yeah. Oh. Um, it's not. Uh, the first time I heard that, I was like, Mongolian? No, it's H-M-O-N-G. Hmong. Yeah. Yeah. Hmong us. <laughs> My favorite video game. That's super sus. <laughs> um, I grew up in Visalia, California, near Fresno. One, hell amongs in Sacramento. Dude, hell amongs in Fresno, too. Cool. Uh, when I was living in Australia, I met a Hmong dude, and he was from Fresno. And I was like, that's crazy. He, he lived there his entire life, couldn't speak English. Because like the Mongs are so insular, Tight-knit. they have such a tight like um, society. S- yeah, here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So this is the account of a Hmong kid who came over and escaped the Cambodian killing fields. Whoa! His family escaped. Wow! Do you guys know what that is? Yes. I'll cover it real quick. The killing fields, 1975 to 1979. Over a million people were killed and buried in mass graves. In Pol Pot. Cam- Pol Pot in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. So what was happening is there was a governing dictatorship. They were trying to re-educate these people. I think it was like from the north to south. I'm not going to do a great job at it. But they would take them away, put them in these re-education centers, and they would kill them. They did it with poison. They, they wanted to save money. So they did it with poison. They did it with shovels. Ugh. They did it with sharpened bamboo sticks. Ugh. And if they were kids, they would smack them against the roots of a chicory tree oh. or chinkiri ch- tree. So that looks like. Oh, sh- oh, it's like a banyan tree. Mm-hmm. They have those all over in Hawaii. It's like a huge, almost like umbrella. I don't know why, but when I read that. That like detail just like gave me shivers. And the reason they did it to so many kids, they did it so they did it to all like the parents, but they what? also killed all the kids. They would throw them on the roots of that? Yeah, they would take their head and bash it against the oh root of that. Take Gosh. them by their legs and whack. Cheat Sean. <laughs> yeah. Sean's all it's actually quite easy if you just grab them by the legs. Pretty effective. <laughs> Get schooled, nerds. <laughs> so the reason they did that, they said specifically when asked about the kids is because they didn't want them to grow up and want to take revenge. So they were literally wiping out crazy generations. That's crazy when you know you're in the wrong and you keep going and like try to cover up your tracks, but except with a million people. 
like crazy. Imagine, imagine being in that position. It's like and power. The most extreme. If you give a mouse a cookie, yeah, absolute tyranny. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> so, at some point, the U.S. gets involved with Vietnam. We come over, and from funding of the U.S. government, a ton of the Hmong people start fighting for us and with us, and. It is estimated that as many as 10 times more Hmong died during Vietnam, the Vietnam War, than American soldiers. So they really were out there doing the most, trying to help, you know what I mean, escape this terrible situation that's going on. And they're going to help the U.S. We come in. And when the Vietnam War was over, we pulled out and we just left them. No help at all. We left them in like the worst situation ever. They're there now alone, no support. So all of these Hmong people are doing everything they can to escape the atrocities that are going on. This family escapes, makes it to the U.S. Like most Hmong people, a lot of them went to California. And that's where they kind of settled. So this family, they get to the U.S. They feel like, you know, we're out of that. Let's build a new life. Let's do this. We can make it. And life is pretty good until... One night, they're, they're all sleeping in their home, and in the middle of the night, their son starts screaming. They run into his room, and he's in his bed thrashing like he has truly seen a ghost. And they get to him, and they wake him up, and he is frantic. And he describes to them, something is chasing me. Something's trying to get me. They try to calm him down. They try to, like, soothe him. It's okay. It was just a dream. It's just a nightmare. And he's adamant. No, 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 no. Something is trying to get me. They don't know what to do. They go to bed. Eventually, he falls asleep. This happens again and again until he is so terrified and so convinced that whatever is chasing him in his dreams is going to kill him, he decides he's going to stop sleeping. He even goes to the extent of setting alarms so that he doesn't get into too deep of sleep. He stays up. As long as he possibly can, and he reaches a couple, like two to three days before he sleeps, until he finally nods off. Everything's quiet, and his family thinks, okay, it's over. So they go to sleep. The house is still, it's dark, everyone's asleep in the house, when a blood-curdling scream goes through the entire house, and the parents know exactly where it's coming from. They jump out of bed. They sprint to their son's room. And by the time they reach his bed, he is dead, lying there. This is a real account. He died in his sleep in the middle of a nightmare. And this wasn't just him. An LA Times article. In 1981, the Center of Disease Control began tracking a mysterious rash of sudden Unexplained nocturnal deaths, also known as SUNDS, S-U-N-D-S, occurring in apparently healthy male immigrants from Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, and Hmong people. The problem unknown in other ethnic groups has now claimed more than, how many do you think? 50,000. First Hundreds. Of- I was going to say 1,000. Damn, okay. I was thinking like four, five. <laughs> Hundreds. Dying 
in the middle of your sleep, you th- okay, you think 54,000. <laughs> no, I said 50,000. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, anyway. Has claimed more than 104 men and one woman. People dying in the middle of their sleep for no reason. They don't have any other health ailments at all. Pre-existing conditions, nothing. Nothing. Well, maybe some of them, but like uh, they not, were en- not enough to like draw. Con- considered healthy. Yes. Oh. Averaging 33 years of age. That's strange, dude. Sorry, I have something to say, but. No worries, go for it. It's like if it wasn't. Like, if this was, like, some type of ancient society, you would legit think that was a curse. Oh, yeah. You know, brought down on your family or, you know, when you compare all the data. And even now, like, these medical professionals, I don't know what else you're going to say, but they can't really draw much conclusion either. But I'm sure there's some scientific explanation to it. There's theories. And we will go over them. I'm going to finish the article real quick. 98% of the deaths occurred between 10 p.m. and 8 a.m., in 1981, the peak year of these deaths, 26 men, often Hmong refugees from the highlands of northern Laos, died in their sleep. Usually victims were simply found dead. But when medics arrived quickly, the men's hearts were fibrillating or contracting wildly. And they were all from a specific region? Like northern Laos. Wow. Or most of them. Yeah, crazy. It's like something's in the water. So here's here's something, or here's like the breakdown. So sudden nocturnal death syndrome, or SUNS. The main features in the Hmong cases were almost all the dead were men, just one woman. Ages 25 to 44, medium age of 33. They were recent arrivals. Median time of being 17 months of time since they made it into the U.S. They all died, or at least became seriously unwell during sleep. No obvious abnormalities were found on autopsy. The basic theory behind sons was and still is that the Hmong men were dying as a result of extreme stress response during episodes of sleep paralysis. So you know how like we always say like sleep paralysis, like you'll be okay. It can't, you know what I mean? Like, it's fine. Eventually it leaves. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Bro, you were right at the beginning when you said, this is another thing to add on to your stress. <laughs> yeah, so the next time any one of our listeners is having sleep paralysis, just know. Could be your last sleep paralysis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be. That there you go. Glass, glass half full. It could be your last. Um, okay, so scientists take a look at it. I'm just going to say right now, they still fully don't understand this. They don't have all the answers. They're like, we're not sure. We have theories. So some of them are, it was a response to trauma, PTSD. They're coming from crazy situations, dealing with it. Some of them was diet. They were saying there could have been something they were genetically predisposed to. They were like in this area of the world for so long. Then they come over to the U.S. Everything changes the environment, the diet. Maybe there was something weird that like we just don't know happened uh a lot of them this starts like spreading in the community people are like know that this is happening and so all the men obviously are terrified so they start actively trying to avoid sleep through like stimulants coffee they set alarms they're not sleeping and obviously that puts way more stress and strain on your heart and your system not good for you 
and could have, what's the word, contributed to more people, more of them dying. Right. That was the, I, I know this situation is pretty, his, like, mass hysteria, but I don't think that was the smartest thing to do. Just stop sleeping? Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, how do I say this in, like, the least colonial way ever? <laughs> Well, I was just about to say, and I'm white, so this is colonial, <laughs> that it's like it plays into their superstitions and then lack of uh, education, or I guess Western education. Mm. It's like, mm. oh, well, people are dying in their sleep. The way to get, or the way to not die is to not sleep. Yeah. Bars, dude. Let's just say. Stars and bars. That's exactly what I was going to say, like the point yeah. I was going to make. And let's just say at some point it was very common to drill holes in your head when you had. Yeah. When you had a headache. So people be making mistakes is all we're saying. Uh, or leech bloodletting. Um, the article kind of wraps up. The mystery of sons in the Hmong population during the 1970s through the 1980s is a fascinating one. Although we have a strong idea of the likely contributing factors, a particular mystery has never been conclusively solved. It is likely that it was caused by a combination of factors, genetics, cultural beliefs, PTSD, and the acute stress of being a new immigrant. But we don't know. There is a tradition among the Hmong people of paying sacrifice to your ancestors. They're very close to their ancestors. So, Like what kind of sacrifice is we talking? I'm not fully sure. I assumed it was just like... Food on the table kind of sacrifice? Yeah, that's what I thought. I don't know why. That's just what I felt. Um, but you did it for a specific reason. For safety. Hmm. You did it so that your ancestors could protect you against evil spirits. And they were very, very um, entrenched in the belief that your ancestors would or should, could protect you from these evil spirits. One of them being the Da Chow. Is how you say it? Da Cho? Mm -hmm. I don't know how to say it. It's D-A-C-H-O is how you pronounce it. Da Cho. This evil spirit in particular would attack men who like weren't doing these sacrifices. So if they weren't trying to protect themselves by appeasing their ancestors, this one like particularly went after them. So all the Hmong people believed when they left the, when they left their homeland, they were super concerned because they were like, our ancestors are not going to be able to make it this far over to the U S they can't go over the <laughs> Pacific ocean. Like they won't. So they were all super stressed that they couldn't do those sacrifices anymore. And then a lot of them start dying, and they are all convinced that, like, Dacho was able to make it over. And because none of them could protect themselves, they were like, shit, dude. <laughs> He's going to just kill us all. And that's what they were all believing at the time. Dude, wild how, uh, like, with a lot of superstitions, where lines are drawn. Yeah, like how like Dacho why? could make it to the U.S., but their ancestors, their ancestors couldn't. couldn't. He's just a good swimmer. Yeah. <laughs> like, ancestors what? weren't. Like, who, who was it who... First said that. Yeah. And then all of them are like, shit. You yep. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know? Yeah. Like it's kind of funny, but it's also just really interesting to see, you know, like that's their belief or way of life. Like this is how things are, but they're definitely not like that either. You know? It's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Who's to say? <laughs> I don't know. Apparently there was somebody. It's probably an old grandma or something. And they were all like, damn, she's right. You know what I mean? <laughs> just an elder in the community who said it. Probably. Yeah. I, I think a lot of it. I mean, not to be insensitive, but I think a lot of it is, you know, 
kids trying to get their or uh, parents trying to get their kids straight. Yeah. And the kids grew up believing it and then they just pass it on and it's like, yeah, this is the way. <laughs> okay. You said it earlier, but this was written in like an LA Times article. It was like a small thing written a long time ago. And this guy sat down at his kitchen table and he's reading the newspaper once and he comes across this story and his name was Wes Craven. Wow. And he read this story and immediately he was like, there it is. That's the story for Nightmare on Elm Street. And he wrote Mm. Nightmare on Elm Street based off this. That's wild. Mm -hmm. Being afraid Mm. to sleep, inevitable. Yeah. I know. That's cool. That's terrifying. It's a terrifying situation. Yeah. It's so hopeless. (laughs) Clever. Mm. Good job. Stealing culture, you know? Yeah. (laughs) He's like, for personal gain. Yeah. And not even shouting out the Hmong community. Yeah. (laughs) you, Wes Craven. I just realized. (laughs) (laughs) I take it back. Even though you did make Scream. Okay. That's good. But (laughs) what does he say in South Park or Family Guy? Freddy? Oh, no, that's uh, Morty, Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty, is it? Come here, bitch. <laughs> I'm going to kill you, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes home. To- anyway, shout out the Spooky Science Sisters. This is on their episode where they talk about the boogeyman. Wow. Mm. It was pretty interesting. I loved hearing it. They went like super deep into the etymology of boogeyman and how it's in literally every culture and they all have a name for it. It's crazy. But, uh, at the very end, they covered this, and I was like, there it is. I love that. I'm going to talk about that tonight. All I know is Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga. They covered that. John Wick. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> yeah. There's an Egyptian boogeyman. <laughs> Dude, that, why is that about... so much scarier, bro? I know. <laughs> He's called, like, hey, Motep. They, they were like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, they were like, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, but they said it translates to the man with the burnt or burnt flesh leg or oh. burnt leg flesh or something. And he didn't listen to his parents and he burned his whole leg. Oh. And if you don't listen to your parents, he will come get you and burn you or something like that. Bro. Okay. <laughs> when I was serving as a missionary for the church in the Philippines, I'd been in a third world country before, Tonga, but Tonga is like they were all my family there. Hmm. So I don't know. And, and I was 12. So I didn't really grasp the concept of social class. You just thought you were yeah. camping? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it was cool. Like farm, an- farm animals were legit running in and out of the house. I was like, this is the greatest place ever. You know? <laughs> um, and then I got to the Philippines eight years later. I'm 19. And I don't really know the language. I'm partly Filipino. I'm an eighth. But nobody guesses that because I'm so big. I'm a giant compared to the Filipinos. Bro, I felt tall in the Philippines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all some bitches over here. <laughs> and uh, I'm on what's called exchanges. So every missionary... If you've listened before, has a companion. And sometimes you go on exchanges with other companions, and they're usually like uh, leaders, like old missionaries who have been there for a while, and they help train you, teach you different things. So I'm on exchanges with this missionary from Australia, actually, Elder Gubb. (laughs) And he's like, oh, we got to go visit this one uh, person that we've been teaching, but he just had an accident, so we got to go give him a blessing. I'm like, cool, yeah, fine, whatever. We'll give him a blessing. 
and we're weaving through the inner city. It feels like Slumdog Millionaire. I've been there for like two weeks, and dude, it stink. It's dirty, and it's gross, and it's the reality of, you know, the the poor of third world countries. And we're weaving through like these homes stacked on top of each other, tiny alleyways that are wet and gross. And he's like telling the story. He's like, yeah, we met this guy. Really cool. And last week he was painting his house and I'm like dodging all this like doo-doo on the ground and like people asking me for money and listening and trying to keep up. And he's like, and uh, he was painting his house last week and he decided he didn't like the paint color. So he got some paint thinner and wanted to redo the job and he spilled paint thinner on his leg and his leg caught on fire. I was like, what? And he's like, are we going to take him to the hospital or something? He's like, oh, they don't have insurance here. (laughs) And like just ignorance, my ignorance, you know? And we get there and I look at this poor old man. He had to have been 80 years old and he's laying on his bed and he is just in so much pain and his leg Half of it looked like legit KFC. Skin was like peeling off and crispy. Chicharron. Yeah. (laughs) Ay caramba. Uh, No me gusta. (laughs) And the parts that wasn't skin that was showing like flesh underneath was just yellow green. It was the grossest thing I ever saw. And it was like, that was... Horror. Uh, suddenly, suddenly your ankles don't seem so bad, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man. You don't want to make this worse, Grandpa? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so you, you gave a blessing to the boogeyman, dude. The Filipino, yeah. Filipino yeah. boogeyman. Yeah. I heard he tried out for Egyptian boogeyman. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, like Filipino. <laughs> Filipino. <laughs> Oh, that's crazy. Anyway, go give him a listen. It was fun to listen to that. Cool. That was what's their name tonight? Spooky Science Sisters. Yes. Cool. Hey, thank you so much. Yeah. Yep. Hit me, Daddy. Oh, yeah, Sean. All right, it's down to me. <laughs> All on you. <laughs> All right, guys. So my story comes out of Wyoming. So pretty close, closer than we've been in this episode. And it comes from this guy named Jimmy. Jimmy is in the Air Force. He's assigned at the Warren Air Force Base in southeastern Wyoming, outside of Cheyenne. He's been living there for a little bit now, and he's decided he wants to, st- he wants to try living off base. So he decides to go and find himself a little house that he can rent or an apartment or something. Where is this again? Wyoming. It's Wyoming. in Wyoming. Okay. So he uh, finds eventually this one-bedroom house in this town called Albin, Wyoming, which is a tiny little town at, like, the southeast tip of Wyoming. Tiny town compared to what else in Wyoming? (laughs) I mean— The other tiny towns. The other tiny towns? I think Cheyenne counts as a small town. Whatever. Everson's (laughs) popping, bro. (laughs) Straight up that Taco Bell slash KFC we always— That place is the shit. I think I saw a two-story building there. (laughs) Development. They're getting real fancy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Onward and upward. <laughs> this tiny little town, he finds a one-bedroom house, 
and the rent is $250 a month. <laughs> Literal dirt. Boys, we moving. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get that rent down. Yeah. So he uh, decides now with all of his newfound funds, he, he puts a down payment on a car. He even splurges for his own internet provider because typically the internet in Wyoming is shite. So Go figure. (laughs) He said, Albin, Wyoming, though, is this tiny town where you could walk across it in a matter of minutes. Oh, my gosh. So... To give you a little perspective. you could run across it in a matter of seconds. You probably just one minute, dude. (laughs) Um, So Jimmy's getting used to the house, and nothing really happens out of the ordinary first couple of weeks. This is back in 2014. In early October... 2014, he uh, comes home from his shift late night, and he's just exhausted, so he kind of lazily brushes his teeth and just crashes, falls in bed, falls asleep. He describes what happened this night as one of the worst nightmares he's ever had. So as he's in bed, he opens his eyes in his dream, and there's something hovering over him. It seems to be a figure. He can't make out any features of this figure. He can just see darkness above him. But he can tell that whatever it is, is disgusted and angry with him. And just staring at him and it starts to whisper, but he can't make out what it's whispering. This happens for several minutes. When finally Jimmy breaks out of this dream, he looks over at the clock and it's, Oh, 350 in the morning. Is that almost four? It's almost four. Okay. And he wakes up with this just hot sweat. And he can't go back to sleep. He's still terrified of what he saw in his dream. Is Jimmy Mong? <laughs> no, dude. Oh. <laughs> so Jimmy decides instead of trying to go back to sleep, he's going to go for a walk. He doesn't have to work later that day. And so he's once it's daytime, I'll fall back asleep. So he kind of gets dressed. It's pretty chilly outside, throws on a jacket. He heads outside for a walk, and he decides he's just going to go walk for an hour or two. Like So around town like 82, 82 times? 82 times. <laughs> he's just going to walk off and get to Nebraska and then come back. So uh, he walks around for what he says is a couple of hours before he decides to come back to the house. He, he's kind of relaxed now at this point, not freaking out about what he just saw. Now, as he gets back home, he sees his front door is completely wide open. Gosh. Now, he's mentally checking, like doing this checklist, and he remembers closing the door and locking the deadbolt because he had even put the key in, locked the deadbolt, pulled it out, and remembers distinctly putting it in his pocket, knowing he's going to need it for later, the door is wide open. Then he remember that he only paid $250. <laughs> then he remembered he only paid $250 a month. <laughs> is this worth it? <laughs> so Jimmy also describes himself as pretty paranoid. So he had brought his gun with him as well. Just concealed carry pistol. He pulls that out and does this forward checking that he'd been taught with concealed carry. Just heading into the house, not trying to close the door behind him just in case someone's in there and he doesn't want them to know. 
It's just a one-bedroom apartment, though. So you got the living room. You got the kitchen with a little bar area on the side. You got a hallway to his bathroom, hallway to his bedroom. He doesn't see anyone, but he continues and checks the whole house. Still, nothing else. He can't figure out what happened, but he decides he's going to change the locks. He ends up changing the locks later that week. A couple of days later, though, after the locks have been changed, he remembers coming back home from his shift. He's going to set up his new gaming computer, or his computer's already set up. He's going to set up a new game and play on it. But as he gets to his house, he opens the door and immediately notices how hot it is in his house. What season is this? This is this is wintertime, I assume, because he describes it being cold outside. He had thrown his jacket and stuff like that. Now, he said his heating in the uh, little house didn't really work. So he put it as high as it would, but then it would only get as high as like 75 degrees. Kevin's looking at me. <laughs> I agree. I'm, I'm with you on this one. <laughs> That's more than enough. More than enough. <laughs> He's like, it's only... 97. <laughs> well, and he even says that he would use the uh, fireplace because this heating system didn't actually work. For all of you out there, we keep our house at a consistent 62 to 64. Legitimately <laughs> 62 to 64 degrees. That is not true. It's 60 at night and 64 during the day. That's colder. <laughs> <laughs> You're so crazy. <laughs> You're so random. <laughs> So, Jimmy goes and checks the, uh, what is it called? Uh, thermostat? The thermostat. So, Jimmy goes and checks the thermostat, and it's reading 83 degrees in his house. So, he's just kind of thinking to himself, he figured maybe it did start working, and since he had put it so high that it just kicked on and kept working. So, he's he doesn't really think much about it. He starts winding down and getting ready for bed after he's you know played games and stuff like that. And as he's like getting into bed, he hears this loud bang on the bedroom wall that's connected to the living room. So at first of all, like he's instantly like on alert. He hesitates for a brief second and then grabs his gun off of his nightstand. And then he does that same, you know, forward checking going into the living room. He kind of goes around the door and at this point, he says he wishes it was an intruder because he didn't see anything, didn't see anyone, but he know he knows what he heard. As he continues to look around, he sees his snow globe that he had on the floor next to the wall, and the globe was kind of cracked, and the little base was kind of dented as if someone had just thrown it up against his wall. Not being able to find anything else, he heads back to his room, And as he walks into his room, his computer monitor that was just on is now off. He kind of thinks maybe it went into sleep mode. He goes to check it out. But the cord, the VGA cord, is actually unplugged. Which is crazy because those are usually screwed in. Exactly. So he starts freaking out a little bit. Is that the blue one with the two screws on the side? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, all the VGA ones I've had are like that. So he sits down at his chair. He starts putting his cord back into the computer. And then... Before, like, flipping everything back on, he's just sitting there, like, with his gun at the ready. He still feels like someone, something is there. And as he turns around, he swivels around in his chair and looks at his bedroom door, which is wide open. He gets this feeling that he's being watched. 
that whatever is looking at him from outside his room is angry with him and wants to harm him. He says he has no idea why, but he takes out his phone and snaps a picture. After, after that feeling of just hostility passes, he finishes connecting his computer. He turns the monitor back on just for some background light. He's feeling a little bit safer, so he starts looking at his photos. And I have a photo for you guys. Oh, yeah. I'm nervous. Yes. This is the photo. Do you want to airdrop it to my computer? Yeah, I'll airdrop it to you. Throw that on the big screen. What if it's just like the ghost of a wife whose husband played too many video games and she's just pissed that he's wanting to play video games? Or it's just his dick. (laughs) Just a dick pic. (laughs) Truly scary. (laughs) Can you tell I have a lot of plastic in my house? (laughs) It's coming through. Oh, shit. All right, here it is. Now, Jimmy says, so Jimmy said, as soon as he sees this photo, he wants to get out immediately. Hell yeah, brother. Now, what do we see in this picture? Why do you want to get out when it's outside? Out of the house, I think. It's, uh, if I'm going to be honest, it just looks like an Ewok. (laughs) Like... Before you can what see do you its mean body, by that? like the eyes, you yeah. know, the two yellow, not not the Ewoks. Uh, like what are the, the sand, sand people? Sand the, uh, not even the uh, uh, guys, but like the tiny dudes. Oh, the Jawas. Jawas. You freaking nerds. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Actually, it's the Jawa. <laughs> okay. Yes, it does look a little bit like that. Suck my dick, weeb. <laughs> so it's a super dark photo. Super dark photo. You barely make out a doorway. And in the middle of the doorway, like looking right out the, the door, you can see two glowing eyes. He says he wants to get out of the house ASAP. He ends up leaving for the night, does come back, and he starts looking for a new place, whether that means going back to the base or whatever. He's like, I don't care if I have to pay 300 a month. Three <laughs> getting out of here. <laughs> so in the weeks that he's trying to sell or move out, He said other small things would happen, like small knocking, seeing things out of the corner of his eye, even footsteps in the house. So he's still just trying to get out of the contract, get out of the house. One night, though, as he's playing games, he hears just light tapping on the bedroom wall again. And because of the other things that have happened, like the smaller things that have continued to happen, he's kind of ignored it. But then this tapping becomes another loud bang on his bedroom wall. So the snow globe again? That's what he thinks. He decides he's going to go check. So he grabs his gun again. He heads out into the living room. Nothing has changed in the living room. But what he does notice is that the light that he always leaves on in the bathroom is now turned off. He assumes maybe just the light bulb went out. So he starts heading over to the bathroom. So from where he's going, he's going out of the living room into this hallway, which is darker, over to the bathroom. And he's still just pointed gun into the hallway. As he's walking over, he starts to feel this burning sensation on top of his hand. He then looks down at his hand, 
and he sees a scratch mark of three, what he looks like claws just scratched his hand. He's freaking out a little bit. He starts backing up and then looks back up into the hallway and sees a huge black figure standing in the hallway. He said he described it as almost as tall as the ceiling, looked like it had horns, and he could once again see the glowing red eyes. He falls backwards, and then as he gets back up, it's gone. He runs back into his room, grabs everything he needs to go to work the next day, and leaves the house. He heads back up to Cheyenne and gets a hotel and refuses to go back to the house. He tells the landlord he's not going back. A few days later, he gets one of his friends to go with him to go and get all of his stuff during the day so they don't see anything. And he admits even not telling his friend what was going on until after they had everything and had left the house. BTW. By the way, there's a demon in my house. (laughs) Currently, Jimmy's doing much better. He's now stationed in Germany. And he said the same friend had just recently told him that the owner of the house had passed away and that the house had burned down. So he has no other updates on what did happen, but fortunately our friend here is has survived to tell the tale. That's good. <laughs> that would suck ass to be a demon and be trapped in Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> also, on the real, scratching is a bitch-ass move. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do it to me. He's all, <laughs> but it's a bitch-ass move. He's like, I'm going to get this mofo. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. He'll, he'll never see it coming. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Like a burning cross or like yeah. a blood dripping. It's like yeah. irritation of the skin. Yeah. Admittedly, the scratching doesn't the exactly match the figure he described in the hallway either. I know, like some big hulking dude. And it's like Just... some. <laughs> Maybe it was only 12%. <laughs> oh, this isn't even his final farm. We call that BFNs, <laughs> big for nothing. So shout out Jimmy. He, that actually came from Reddit, annoying user annoying rooster. He posted that on our paranormal with the photo that was mm. there as well. Mm. Crazy. That's it for me tonight. Wild Jimmy, freak. If oh, put yourself in that situation, you take the photo or you take a photo and you look at your camera, you would shit a brick if oh, you yeah. saw that. I'm not staying another night in that house if I see that. Ugh. If I know that I didn't fake it, that is. Because, like, people who are faking it are probably more likely to stay in the house. Bro, I was shutting down the house the other night. This is probably, like, two weeks ago. And I'm shutting everything off, turning everything, locking everything, right? And I get to my office door, and I go to close it. And halfway between close, there's resistance. Like, it stops. Like, someone's pushing. And then I, like, stop and I push, and there's nothing there. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Like, it had me on, like, even that, though, had me on such, like, high alert. So, seeing that photo, I would just, like. <laughs> was it your door hooks? Uh, no. Up top? I thought of the same thing, so I checked. It, no. Because one of my doors does that. Yeah. But, no. That, that, you know. I legit, like, looked at everything, checked it later. <laughs> I don't know what it was. I've been meaning to ask Sean and DJ this. Oh, gosh. Do you guys hear stuff falling off of my walls at night or in the mornings or whenever? Once in a while, here, once in a while I'll hear like a knock on the wall. 
I think you like because you have a headboard, right? Yeah, I just think <laughs> you're like rolling around. <laughs> you're not having sex. No, I do. <laughs> I do move around in my sleep a lot, but a lot of the times in the mornings, I wake up and something has fallen off of my walls, and it's just like, like the other day, I have that metal tree yep. thing yeah, in my yeah, bathroom, yeah. and it was in the middle of my bathroom floor off of the wall. And I was all, what the heck? How was it held up? By nails. Yeah. Not with nails, with uh. those command strips, but the command strips were still there. Well, it might be so damn cold in this house. That's not true. That the command strip. But. It's not how it works. Then I have, I have like this picture that when my grandma passed away, I got this picture. It was a picture of her and all her siblings and her parents and stuff. And it's hanging in my closet, and that kept falling off of the wall to where now the frame is broken, and they can't hang it back up right now until I get it fixed. But, like, that's fallen off. My two tree things have all fallen off. My, uh, yeah, just a bunch of stuff falls off. And I, I mean, I sleep like the dead, so I don't hear anything as it falls off. But I keep meaning to ask you guys if you guys hear it, but I forget. I sleep with earplugs, so I can't hear anything. But I do remember hearing something fall off in your bathroom early morning after I had woken up the other day. Well, that was probably the treat because that happened a couple probably. days ago. So I remember that, but I don't remember hearing anything else. But it was in the morning, too, because I had already woken up, already taken the earplugs out. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I have uh, blood-curdling snores when I sleep. <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't hear. You sound like a mong dying. I'm, I'm like not, I'm not I'm not aware of anything. I'm like between these two rooms kinda from things falling off of the walls in one to the snoring in the other, I have to have your plugs. Yeah. Otherwise I'm haunted. Hmm. That's funny because nothing falls off of my room. Don't you love that? What? what it's a haunted saying, house Sean? living in one. Um at <laughs> one point when the basement is finished, we're moving the studio because we're using my bedroom as uh, it's doubling as my bedroom and the studio right now. Welcome. <laughs> when the basement's finished, we'll move the studio to a more permanent location. Hey. AKA another room downstairs. And it's like in the far corner. It's the, like of the, the farthest. Yeah. Like that way or this way? Oh, that way. You have to go towards the end of the hallway. Like right below my room. Yep. Yep. So, oh, yeah. I mean, you can get <laughs> transferred haunted from your room. Yeah. Needless to say, why is my room haunted? You're the you're only one it. that has stuff. Maybe because off wherever the walls. we go, Kevin, you go. If you're a demon, come get me. Yeah, you were. You do say that. You literally They've never come up. to get me yet. Oh, okay, they're knocking well, shit off your wall, and you're like, something's knocking it off my wall. <laughs> come at me, demons. Okay. Okay, I'm. You not have here. roommates. <laughs> Be considerate. You're I'm reckless. Like, tell your parents. That's I'm like drunk driving of paranormal, bro. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's going to be a little creepy maybe sometimes. I don't know. We'll see. If we all have to go down together. Well, but <laughs> I refuse to go down there. Okay, there's going to be times where I'm going to be there alone working. Well, you're f- <laughs> So. Shit, dude. That's fine with me. <laughs> I know it's fine with you. <laughs> you psycho. I kind of want to like when we have guests over. Because you have to go down this long hall then turn. I want to like, like a haunted pull house. lights up. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. know. Like an on air or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is not the point. Guys, tonight was fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here, listening. Thank you for supporting. Thank you to everyone who contributes stories. 
go like and follow on Instagram if you want or YouTube. We do we have a YouTube version. We have a video version of these episodes you can watch. The videos will have more content. Yeah. Not just because of the video, but we add some of the like if we have visuals like the picture, you don't have to look for it on Instagram if you watch the video version. I just uh I just uploaded an episode where I have a ton of photos. Yeah. Dope. Like extra photos that we don't, you know, you yeah. won't get anywhere else. So So if you like to watch your podcasts, I know a lot of people do, we have that option. The three AM pod. Yeah. It's been a fun night. Thanks everyone. We will see you very soon. Oh maybe sooner than you think. <laughs> watch your back. Uh don't be safe. Definitely don't be careful. Okay, bye. Bye. (laughs) Hey, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of 3AM. If you want to support us, visit our Patreon where patrons have access to exclusive content. If you're not able to support us monetarily, don't worry. This episode is on us. You can still rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to us on. It really does go a long way. You can also follow us on social media. Our handle everywhere, including Patreon, is the 3AM Pod. Finally, do you have any scary stories? If so, submit them to our website, the3ampodcast.com. We love any audio or visual aids that can help bring your stories to life. So file uploads are welcome with your written submissions. We're anxious and excited to hear from you. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes by Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew. But after reading police reports, it became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week, we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week, we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.